Do you know what a net promoter score is and why it may be the single best indicator of long-term growth for your practice or your agency? We'll learn about that, and we'll also find out how to alleviate stress on part two of this two-part episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. Are there any metrics yet on on savings or satisfaction scores of folks in, in either of those two delivery models that are that are being talked about? Does anybody have any metrics yet, or is it too early? It really is very early, David. Some of the projections that have been put out there by the National Business Group on Health are for savings in the 3% range or so for a maturing ACO. And then over time, a high-performing ACO can expect savings higher than that, maybe in kind of 3 to 5% range. But again, there aren't a lot of examples to draw from in the commercial space. We can look to Medicare and see the kind of savings that are happening there, and they are also in that, that same general range. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about something that is complementary to the employer ACO model that, that we've just been discussing and explaining, and that's a net promoter score. For folks who aren't familiar with it, what is a net promoter score? Well, a net promoter score is probably something that we don't talk about in the employee benefits space very much. It's actually a score. It's one number that measures the degree to which a consumer or a purchaser, a member, would actually refer an organization to someone else. And so again, let's use an example of some other industry. Let's take the airline industry. What percentage of airline passengers would recommend this airline to someone else? And if 66% would recommend the airline to someone else, then that's the net promoter score. So it's the percentage of Uh, people who are promoters versus people who are detractors. And so what we're really getting at here is customer service and brand loyalty. And this particular concept actually was introduced in a Harvard Business Review article a number of years ago. And in that article, they put together a basic formula, which is you ask basically one question to the customer. And that question is, would you recommend this service or this product to a friend? And if the answer is yes, then you're a net promote, you're a promoter. And if the answer is no, you're a detractor. And basically what you do is you subtract the detractors 
from your promoters. And so on a scale from zero to 10, with zero being very unlikely and 10 being extremely likely to recommend the company, product, or service to a friend or a colleague, what would your score be? And you you often have these surveys at the end of a service call with an organization that you might be dealing with, and, and they may ask you that very question. And scores of 9 and 10 are recognized as promoters, and scores of 7 or 8 are recognized as passives, and scores of 6 or lower are considered detractors. And then the percent of responders that are detractors are subtracted from the percent of responders that are promoters, and the result is the net promoter score. So how does this factor into our industry and into these new plans that we were just talking about in segment one? If the net promoter score can be used as a measure of customer satisfaction, and what we're talking about here now is at the member level, the patient level, the employee level, their dependent level. So we're not talking about the HR buyer. We're not talking about people that are making organizational decisions necessarily, this question is asked of the actual user of the product or service. And so in the health insurance industry, all the major carriers do customer service surveys. They measure their net promoter score. And David, on a scale of you know, 150 positive to negative 150, what would you think the average net promoter score is for the health insurance industry? I, I would suspect that it's kind of like congressmen and other folks and insurance agents. If, if it's your provider, it's probably a higher score than if it's providers in general. Yeah, it's interesting. The actual net promoter score of the health insurance industry is eight. And compare that to some other industries. In the iPhone industry or the smartphone industry, Apple has a net promoter score of 89. Amazon has a net promoter score of 69. Southwest Airlines is the leader in the airline industry with a net promoter score of 66. And so you have all these other examples. We can, use, we can go industry by industry. But when it comes to the health insurance industry, the average net promoter score is eight, which really means the customer service perception is quite low. And now a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years experience working with educational institutions. And over that time, They've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing health care costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. So, Let's get a little more granular. If if you're in the industry and you're doing these kinds of surveys, 
Do you react differently to promoters versus folks who are passive versus the folks who are detractors? Are there different things that you can do to raise that score? Well, there certainly are. And I think of the score as a tool. If you have a low net promoter score, as any organization in any industry, it tells you, hey, our customers aren't happy. And so you can ask all kinds of other questions to drill down on the source of their unhappiness. And most of these surveys do ask additional questions. But if they're not happy with the wait time, as an example, that it takes to talk to a human, or there are too many layers in the phone tree, they can measure things like the degree to which people hang up when they call member services before they actually get to someone who can answer their question. And they can then begin to improve, you know, all the functionality behind that. And so it's a very valuable tool. And I I would suggest here that this tool can be used more broadly by brokers, consultants, benefit advisors in a number of ways. And maybe we could talk about some of those ways. Well, Let's do that because I think if we're going to if we're going to use this as a metric and we're going to finally create a triangle that isn't broken where all of the pieces talk to each other and those key relationships are preserved, you know, I'm a Peter Drucker guy, right? If you can't measure it, you can't improve it. So how do you do that? Well, let's first start with requests for proposals or requests for information, RFPs and RFIs, as we call them. I've seen a lot of RFPs in my 30 years in the employee benefit business. I've written some and I've responded to some. I rarely see a question around net promoter score in an RFP. Now, Part of that is fair. This is a relatively new phenomenon, so it hasn't been around forever. But you could start adding a question to your RFP, what is your net promoter score and provide evidence of such? And so the authors of this article that I talked about are Fred Reicheld and Bain & Company. And this article was actually published in 2003. But, you know, that's been out there now for 15 years or so, and and most of the carriers are measuring net promoter score and other related service organizations in our industry. And so brokers and consultants can start to actually ask for net promoter scores in their RFPs. So that's one very practical thing they can do. Another practical thing they can do is with their existing book of business, find out what the net promoter scores are of their partners and and bring that to the attention of the partners and try to improve the scores of the folks you're working with, the carriers and other service providers that you're working with. And so that would be a value add if you're a broker and a consultant to try to make meaningful strides to improve those scores uh, by having dialogue with your service providers. But I think there's a third way that might be a creative way for a, a broker or a consultant to really distinguish themselves in the industry. They could ask their own customers the same question on a scale of one to 10. Would you recommend? And they can figure out their own net promoter score. And wouldn't it be great if your customers love you and you could say to prospective customers, I have a net promoter score of 85 or 75, something that's very impressive. Your prospective customer may not know what a net promoter score is, so you can explain it and you can explain what the insurance industry average is and how your service as a consultant or an advisor is much better than the industry overall. And so that can really differentiate you when 
talking to clients and acquiring new clients. Is it just as simple as that one question? Would you recommend? That's the beauty of the net promoter score. It is actually the one question. And the one question, again, is on a scale of one to 10. Would you recommend my service to a friend or a colleague? And you can, you know, tweak that language a little bit. But the basic uh, question is, is, is quite simple on a scale from zero to 10 with zero being very unlikely and 10 being extremely likely to recommend my company or my service to a friend or a colleague. And they say, well, it's a seven. Well, guess what? Seven doesn't get you anywhere because that's in the neutral zone. Seven and eight are neutral. You have to be a nine or a 10 to be considered a promoter and anything below seven is considered to be a detractor. So if you were an agency and you wanted to use this net promoter score to drive improvement, would you then do a second survey to get more granular depending on what that score came back as, what that initial question metriced out at? Absolutely. You want to know what's underneath that. So if you're getting a score of a four, there's obviously something wrong and you want to get underneath that. Now you could do a follow-on survey with a list of questions, or you could just do an interview and ask your customer, obviously you're not completely satisfied with my service. Can you tell me why? And go into as much detail as you can because it's very important to me. And so whether it's a focus group, a one-on-one interview, or an actual survey, I think it would behoove uh, anyone who's asking the net promoter score question to drill deeper and try to find out what's driving it, good or bad. But you'd recommend doing that as a second step, not in, not at the same time, not concurrent with the first net promoter score question. Well, it could be done in the same survey or the same interview, but I think you first want to get the net promoter score question out there on an isolated basis because you want you, you don't want that score to be fuzzy. That number matters. So you want to be very clear that you have a, let's say you have 10 questions, you have 10 customers, and you ask the same question to all 10 customers, and you derive your average net promoter score. That number is the indication of of the kind of customer service you provide overall. So you want to make sure that number is clear and you ask the question in an isolated way, then give a little bit of space to breathe, whether in the same survey or come back in a separate and drill down. So if all of this has made your head spin and has, has, has made you stressed, Eric is a full service guy and he wrote a book a little while ago that's a very interesting read. And we'll link to all of these articles and also to the book and, and all of Eric's stuff. So you don't have to go you know hunting for things and looking stuff up. But he wrote a book called Stop with a big exclamation point after it, 21 Stops to Reduce Stress and Enhance Joy, which, boy, we could all use less stress and more joy. So what was the impetus behind writing the book? And give us a couple of key tips. Well, David, I myself was very stressed. I was in a senior executive role for a company that went from startup to going public in three years. And we were growing by leaps and bounds. And the amount of stress in my life was just quite heavy in the work side of my life. And if I didn't get the stress under control, then it was going to spill over into the personal side of my life and a lot of other things would suffer. And so I think a lot of people can relate to that. We live in a very busy, 
society where we're constantly bombarded by meetings and conference calls, let alone the Swiss Army phone that we all carry in our pockets that have a hundred different ways to ping us and disrupt us and distract us. And so I needed to stop doing something. And so it was less about wellness in the sense of starting an exercise program or starting a diet as important as those things are, I was looking for stuff to take off my plate, not more things to make me guilty because I need to do more, 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 more. And so I started to interview people that were very successful, who seemed to have a very nice level of manageable stress. We all have stress, but they are managing it well. And I asked for their life hacks and I got a lot of great feedback. I also did quite a bit of research on behavioral economics and brain science. And I packed all of that into the book in 21 different things to do or to stop doing, I should say, that will reduce your stress and then consequently give you more joy in your life. So let's give folks a, a sneak peek at some of the stuff that's in the book. Pick pick the number one tip that you think is the easiest for and the most applicable to most folks who are listening. Well, I'll give you two. We'll do a two-for-one special here. One of the chapters is stop looking at your smartphone. Now, we all rely on our smartphones, right? We need those to look at our calendar and our GPS and exchange emails and text messages and, and all the different things we do on our smartphones. So they are wonderful tools, but it's okay to turn it off. <laughs> it's okay to actually put it in do not disturb mode and set it in a drawer. One of the people I interviewed, a very successful executive, said that what he does when he comes home at night, he the first thing he does is he puts his car keys and his smartphone in a drawer right next to the front door. And then the next three or four hours is time that he gives his undivided attention to his kids and his wife. And then he'll pick it back up around 8.30 or 9 o'clock once the kids are in bed. He might scan it and, and look at it for a while then. But that's just a, a great practical step of just turn the thing off every now and then. The second example is stop multitasking. Some people pride themselves on being able to do many, many things at once. I can, you know, listen in on this conference call while I'm typing an email. Well, guess what? Brain science says that when you shift from one task to the next, it's kind of like switching a, a light switch on and off, and you're going to lose some of the circuitry there. And so you're constantly restarting, stopping, restarting, stopping, restarting. And it's much better to monotask than to multitask. You'll get far more done doing one thing at a time than trying to do multiple things. So stop multitasking. Stop looking at your smartphone. Two for is one. the multi? Well, thank you. We appreciate the special. Is the, is the multitasking something that first requires you to decide what's most important in your day? Because uh, I know a lot of folks don't do that. They just they've got this ginormous to do list and nothing's prioritized. Well, another chapter is stop working on low priorities. So absolutely, prioritization is key. And I use the story of Andrew Carnegie in the priority chapter. Andrew Carnegie hired an efficiency expert, famous story. And after the efficiency expert followed him around, carrying his bags to all of his meetings for about a month, his recommendation to Carnegie was make a list of things to do 
prioritize them from the most important to the least important every day and start working on number one and don't go to number two until you've taken number one as far as you can get it. Carnegie started doing this. He found that it improved his effectiveness dramatically. And so he asked the efficiency expert, how much do I owe you? And he said, uh, just send me a check for what you think the idea was worth. He sent him a check for $30,000 and we're talking 1860. And so obviously prioritization is a very key thing. It's better to have a list of three things that you work on and If you only accomplish two of those things in a given day, if those are the three most important things you work on, you will accomplish much more in your life than trying to check 100 items off your task list. And so this ties into multitasking. If you really have your priorities straight, you're not going to spend time chasing five or six different things at the same time. And that's a wonderful place to end our conversation for today. Eric Parmenter, National Leader of Value-Based Care at Collective Health. Eric, thank you for coming back on the podcast. My pleasure. The Shift Shapers Podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved. 